<laughs> and I want to share a couple of things with you that are, that's happening around the world. Really recent. I don't know if you've heard about this yet, but you were all familiar with OPEC, the mm -hmm. people who determine how much oil the rest of the world gets. <laughs> well, apparently they are going to start in May reducing daily production by one and a half million barrels per day. And they say they're doing this because they want to um, <laughs> they want to stabilize prices <laughs> stabilize the prices or the availability of oil. Yeah, they want to stabilize the global fuel market. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. to myself, yeah, they want to raise the price, obviously, first, then they want to stabilize it. It was so funny when all Trump had to do was call them up and go, hey, can you put out more? Oh, sure, no problem. But anyway, um, apparently America's asking them to pump out more, mm -hmm. and so they're not going to do that, and they're going to... Here's the countries involved. Saudi Arabia is going to reduce by 500,000 per day. Russia will reduce by 500,000 barrels per day. United Arab Emirates by 144,000 barrels per day. Kuwait, Kuwait by 128,000 barrels per day. Iraq, 211,000 barrels. Algeria by uh, 48,000. And Oman by 40,000. So come May, if this goes through, the world will have a one and a half million barrels of oil less per day. So we know that when we go to the pumps, it's going to be a lot different. So anyway. Didn't um, Saudi and uh, yep. China and talking about, yep. uh, and Brazil talking about switching from the U.S. dollar? No, they've already done that. Yeah, okay. they just did that. Yes, you're right. They just did that. So they're dumping the petrodollar. Which, of course, also means... Devaluing the U.S. dollar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're going to use their own currency. They're bypassing the petrodollar. And so that's also going to affect us. You know, it, it's sad because I've read so many um, articles this week by financial experts. And I, I only I use that term because that's what they're called, and they know more than I do. When I read their articles, it's clear they know more than I do. I've never been one that's really that big in economics and finances and all that stuff. But um, they're all saying now, you know, we're definitely going to have a recession. And I was talking to Sylvia and I said, well, okay, but to me, I think we've been in a recession. Maybe, maybe, maybe what they're really saying is we're going to have something along the likes of the Great Depression. They just don't want to call it that. Because some of them have talked about hyperinflation. Which, you know, doesn't bode well for people. You know, we may make it. We may have struggles. But, I mean, imagine the people who are on really seriously fixed incomes, Social Security or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. They don't have any way to produce their own. Food. Yeah. So, I just we'll want to let you know the clock is still up. Oh, thanks. And then, of course, there was Israeli um, sent a missile or an airstrike into Damascus today. We don't know what that's about yet. So... Anyway, right, Damascus is what? What is that? Jordan? Who's West Damascus? Syria. Syria. Syria? Syria. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was asking. Okay. So I get confused too. Okay. Yeah. Well, they they've sent things into Syria over the last few weeks. Haven't they been firing into Syria? I haven't kept up on it. Okay. I wouldn't okay. be surprised because people are always shooting 
lot of the missiles in the right. Yes. Syria and Turkey are still digging out from the earthquake. They mm. they haven't had a whole lot of time to to do anything to reach back around the world because there was the earthquake. Yeah, and, and I, that I think that, that their it was a bad earthquake. Their yeah. targets, Israel's <coughs> targets, are Iranian entities in Syria. Yeah, I, I, that's that's my take on. There, yeah, and, it's and, not just a. And the earthquake only affected the northern border of uh, Syria, I think. I don't remember. To, I remember watching Turkey. the videos of these huge high rises just. Oh yeah, crumbling. Oh, it was yeah. wild. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it was. But you know, the thing about Damascus is, we know the scripture talks about the fact mm -hmm. that one day it'll be destroyed. Period. You know, so we'll see what happens. But anyway, we're going to be doing chapter 16, the last two bold judgments, which are the last judgments of the 21 judgments of the tribulation. So if you want to turn there, we'll get started after we open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we are <clears throat> walking into this holy week where... For us, it is a true Holy Week because it's the triumphal entry and uh, the night you spent with the apostles in the Last Supper and then the, the illegal trials that occurred and your false charges and your very, very painful execution. And you did that for the joy that was set before you, despising the cross. And yet you did that for us, and we are so grateful. We are thankful for your word. We're thankful for what it means to us. We thank you for the fact that it is our authority because it is directly from you. So thank you as we open up Revelation 16, the last portion of it tonight. We know that there's a lot we'll never understand about your word, but make it... Make it applicable to us this evening. Help us to understand what the big picture is and what it says about you and what may be coming, well, not what may be coming, what may be coming shortly or what may be coming uh, a little longer, but what will be coming. Mm -hmm. So we do thank you for the grace that you've given us. And uh, we thank you for this evening and those who are gathered here. Bless us and be glorified in our conversation, in Christ's name, amen. Okay. And we'll pray for those other folks. We'll keep remembering them. Uh, Clenda and I'm sure Faith. they're... I'm sorry, Faith. Faith is the one having the surgery. Yeah, so we'll keep our prayers going for those folks and any other things we can think of as we go. All right, um, Book of Revelation. The overview. Previously, if you saw the video... And hopefully you've had a chance to do that. We covered the first five bowls of the wrath. And of course, the, the bowls of wrath, I think it's kind of interesting if you look through the book of Revelation here when it starts chapter 6 going through chapter 18. It's almost like the, the each set of seven get worse and worse. And so these are rightly called the bowls of wrath because God seems to be sparing nothing here. I mean, he is, obviously. I mean, it could be immediate, absolute, total yeah. destruction, but it isn't. He is sending incendiary, wrathful bowls of judgment for a purpose. And so the first five 
bowls are found in Revelation 16, 1 through 11. And just to review, the first one was the painful sores. The second one, the sea turns to blood. The third one, the fresh waters turn to blood. The fourth one, the sun gets hotter and people are scorched because of it. And you'll notice as we go back through these, um, or if you were to go back through them and read, there's no sign that anyone repents out of any of these. The fourth bowl, in fact, it's poured out. Verse 9 says, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of the God, the name of God who has power over these plagues. They did not repent. They did not give Him glory. I would hasten to say at this point that they were unable to repent uh, because of the mark of the beast. But still, that's what happened. It's like there's there's no chance. They they. And, and the funny part is, I guess you could say the ironic part is, they don't believe God exists. I was just wading through some atheist comments today on a YouTube video, and it's absolutely fas fascinating to me how over and over again atheists continually prove how arrogant they are. They, they are so arrogant. And... Because they are arrogant because they believe that they have been so enlightened that God does not exist, and how could you... Well, if you want to continue to believe that nonsense, okay, but you really should come over and hopefully one day you'll realize the error and how stupefying it is that you believe something so mythologically false. Maybe you'll come to our side. But they're just so arrogant. And you, I mean, I've talked with atheists over the years, and it always comes down to a very haughty attitude that they possess. And they don't think they have that. But this is the same type of stuff that we're seeing here. So the fifth bowl was the complete darkness over Antichrist's kingdom. And I don't know if I misunderstood what you were saying, or... It was, oh, it was just, uh, I've just looked it up to see, you know, okay. well, is this, because it, is it literal darkness? Is right. Is it figurative darkness? And there are people on both sides of the issue. Yeah, yeah, so it just uh, you know, gave some other examples, and it's mm -hmm. kind of weird that there it only appears three times in the New Testament. I mean, mm -hmm. you would think that darkness would be something that would be a common thing. And I thought it was funny about Google thing, and I enjoyed your, you know, <laughs> Google's, they're idiots, yeah, apparently. Yeah, they, they are clueless. But... Yeah, it's so the same, it's plague number nine. I kind of went back because I thought, well, these do align with the plagues, they you do. know. And, and the plague number nine that was darkness, you know, mm -hmm. to where they couldn't literal darkness. Yeah, it yeah. was literal yeah. darkness. Yeah, in plague number nine. And, and I was thinking about that, which is why I, you know, texted you what I texted you about the pain of people's minds, because I thought about that. Some of the the pain they experience in this darkness, I think, does go back to the first bowl, as I mentioned, because. I don't know that these painful sores are short-lived. I think they may carry through for a bunch of people to the third, fourth, fifth bowl. Yeah. But I also think, think about it. Um, I saw a picture of Julian Assange today. You, you know who he is. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, the poor man. He's literally being held prisoner. Um, his face looks like there's no life in it. it, it I mean, he is just being tormented because he has no outside communication. I mean, there's he has so little of anything. I don't I don't quite get it. They're just simply punishing him. But imagine 
if he were then placed in a completely, totally dark room. Right. He'd go mad. Yeah, because we're not built like that. We need the light of day because the sunlight feeds our, it, it produces vitamin D, it helps us be healthy. So, I mean, imagine what being in a dark, 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 so dark that you can't see the hand in front of your face, what that would do to your psyche. And how, that would be difficult. How funny you go right from the fourth bowl, which was scorching heat, mm -hmm. to the fifth, which is absolute mm -hmm. dark. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. So, we're going to finish up 12 to 21 tonight, the Bowl of Wrath judgments 6 and 7. So let's look at uh, the text 12 to 16. I'll just read that for you if you don't mind. Um, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Uh, let me just stop there for a second before I forget to say this. Remember when uh, the angel poured out his bowl onto the fresh waters and what did they turn into? Blood. 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 Well, now apparently it's back to water. So, it, at least in this sense, for the freshwater stuff, it seems to have been temporary, or maybe it was only temporary for the Euphrates. I don't know. I'm sure God could sit there and say, "Okay, Euphrates, you're going back to the fresh water, but the rest is going." I don't know how that works. But the water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon. This has always been an interesting part for me. Um, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on, that should be both great, on, sorry, the great day of God Almighty. I forgot to take out that little B. 15. Behold, should have taken out that sea. I am coming like a thief. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So that's what we're covering tonight. Um, and, and it's just really kind of an interesting thing here. Euphrates dries up. What I find fascinating here is that the Euphrates River has been drying up. I'm sure you know this for a while. And I only went back as far as August 2021, and there were articles about the fact that the Euphrates drying up then was leaving the breadbasket of Syria as a desert. So people were actually leaving it in droves because they had no way to support their families. They, they couldn't grow food because there was no water. They couldn't, you know, so the, the land became unused, decimated, and, and that's what's been happening for a number of years. So it almost seems like God started this process a while ago. Not that it's just going to, boom, happen. In the final stage, it may just instantly dry up. But we know that it's been happening for a bit of time. So, we also know, according to the text, that this drying up is in preparation for what God is going to direct to occur. And we're going to see that, of course, in the seventh bowl. But it's interesting because we know what's coming, and that coming is what? It's the battle of what? Armageddon. Armageddon. You've heard about it, so have I. And um, that is the climactic signal event of the end. 
of the tribulation, which then God interrupts as he returns to this earth. But God is bringing this about. And how does he do it? He allows these three spirits, one from the dragon, who is Satan, of course, one from the beast, who is Antichrist, one from the false prophet. They're the ones who are sending out and directing these armies of the world to gather at that place. So notice, according to verse 12, it's being done to prepare the way for the kings from the east. So, all these rulers come together in one great conflict. And what is this conflict, by the way? Anybody know? I mean, they're not going to fight each other, are they? What are they doing? They're fighting Jesus and Jesus' army, right? I would think, right? I, I don't know of any other reason. They're coming together under the direction of uh, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. For what purpose? Those three especially Satan, have always been aligned against Christ and God. So they want to bring all these armies together, and as asinine as this sounds to us, this is what they're actually going to try to do. They are actually literally going to try to mass all their forces together to keep Jesus Christ from returning to this earth. That's literally what they're trying to do. This is why... Satan needs the entire globe and the availability of all the armies from every nation he can muster so that they can go there to Megiddo because Satan knows when Jesus comes back, he is going to land, step down onto Mount Olives. So Satan wants to be there with the armies of the world as a welcoming party to keep him from stepping down his foot before it happens. Satan yes. knows who God is. Yes. <clears throat> what in the world makes him think that he can defeat God? Hubris. It's the, it's the, same, the same stuff that atheists have. They are arrogant because they think they know. They think they know better. And Satan is a master at that. That's the only thing I can think of. He is so full of himself. And let's not forget, before he fell, he was considered the most beautiful created being that God ever created. He was supposedly the director, if you look at all the scriptures, the director of music, he, he dealt with the angelic choirs. I mean, it, it's just what he did was astounding. And yet he fell. And he retained his power. God let him keep all of his power. And he fell because of his pride, which is another way of saying arrogance and hubris. So it's, it's hard for us to fathom. It really is. I, I sit there and I go, he can't be that stupid. He's not stupid. He actually believes. I don't know. Yeah, so he just must believe it. To... Well, he's the great deceiver. He's even deceived himself. Apparently, yeah. yeah that's yeah. true. That's, that's a good he's going to find it. out. And when Jesus comes back, what does he do? With a word or a breath of his mouth? Yeah. He, he takes out the Antichrist, who is literally... Satan in physical form on the earth because the Antichrist will be fully possessed by Satan. Fully. So he takes him out and then, you know, Satan is then sequestered into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. There's no way he can win. But other commentators have also said 
part of what they believe Satan is, is trying to accomplish is, number one, the first objective is to defeat Christ before he steps down. And if he can't do that, which he can't, he wants to take as many people, as many human beings as possible with him when he gets sent to the lake of fire. That's the other side of the story. So Satan figures, okay, if I can't stop Christ from coming, I'm going to make sure millions and millions of souls join me in my final resting place for all eternity. So that's what some commentators believe. I mean, it's a good point. It could be, you know, the same. It, it's, it's the other side of the same coin for Satan. Apart from that, I don't know. Because he can't really believe unless he is so deceived that he does think it's a possibility. So they come together for this great conflict, and uh, these three unclean spirits, those are interesting. A lot of commentators have written a ton of stuff on, on these three spirits. I personally like to keep it simple, and, and I just I, I go with something that seems to make the most sense. It doesn't mean I'm right about it, it just means that, for me, it makes the most sense. So, I think part of what's happening here is when something comes out of your mouth, especially as a king, there's a, a proclamation, an announcement, um, a mandate, if you will. You know, we have, uh, during COVID, there were many mandates presented, given to us by people in authority. Well, we were supposed to obey those. Some did, some didn't, whatever. But the point is, it came with this aura of power and authority. And I think that's part of what's happening here. The other parts, we know that these are also, by the way, demons. And so, uh, because the text tells us that. But these demons, with the ability to deceive, will be able to fully deceive these kings into... Head up to Megiddo. There you're going to wait. And, and there we need, to, uh, we need to station ourselves and wait for this conflict that's going to be happening. And I think because of the deception, that's what causes the world's armies at that point to mobilize and converge on Palestine, or at least part of what is Palestine. So, and I think this is done, they think this is going to be done for their advantage. I mean... We all know people who are deceived in one way or another, mm -hmm. sadly. And you just sit there and you look at them and go, mm -hmm. what, what can I do to wake you up? Anything? And, and it's sad because most of the time we can't. We can mm -hmm. pray for them, we can tell them, and then maybe, maybe God will have mercy on them enough to open their eyes and remember what we said or what somebody else said or what a number of people said, and they'll just go, oh, I get it. Okay. But too often that, unfortunately, doesn't happen. And I think these, these kings will be, um, they'll mobilize, they'll, they'll do what they're supposed to do because they will be, under the impression it will be for their advantage to go there. That's, that's the impression I get. And again, there are a lot of reasons, commentators, there's, there's a whole gamut here. You know it as well as I do. Um, and ultimately, though, it's sad because here are these millions and millions of soldiers and leaders and generals and kings, whatever. And doesn't it somewhere talk about how 
they're, they're, because God set it in their hearts to do this, like when the when the, the ten kings turn over their yes. authority to Satan, God had yes. set it in their heart or something like that to do that. So mm-hmm. he'll give them over to their he'll give yeah. them over to mm-hmm. the demons. So yeah. they don't yeah. have a choice. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, and be, because of the path they're taking, I mean, we see it in, in society today. Sure, we see it in society today. I mean, people. We were watching a documentary about Herb Albert the other day, and I really liked Herb Albert's music growing mm-hmm. up. You know, T1 mm-hmm. Brass, Taste of Honey, mm-hmm. The Lonely Bull. I loved it, especially because I played trumpet for years. But what was re- what was mindful for me as I was watching this, we're talking about the 50s, 60s or so, 70s. Life was so different then. Mm-hmm. Life was so different then. The music we hear today, if you want to call it that, isn't happy. It's not uplifting. It's very, very dark, and it's getting darker. And then you have Hollywood that is, um, every time they have an awards ceremony, it's as dark as dark can get. And the latest one was one of the guys dressed up literally as Satan. And you sit there and you go, oh, okay. And then you have the transgender day of vengeance, which was what, yesterday? Didn't hear much about it, but you sit there and you go, okay, we have gone way past the point of no return. Society's not going back. But I remember the days when I listened to Herb Albert and life was good. Was happy perfect. music. Yeah. It was. It was, it was happy, happy music. music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And T Berry Shuffle and you know, I mean it was just wonderful stuff. A taste of honey, all that stuff. But we have come so far from that. So getting to this point is is gonna be not that many steps away for the world, yeah. really, unfortunately. So fallen angels and demons are sent forth to help mobilize these armies. And because of the way they're able to deceive and the pressure that they put on things, and we need to remember too, Job chapter 1 outlines for us in just that first chapter some of the capabilities of Satan, yeah. how he can create tornadoes out of nothing, how he can turn one army against the other. So these demons, who are obviously going to be very powerful, are in some way going to hypnotize these groups and deceitfully push them to do what they're maybe not thinking of doing, but all of a sudden they think it's a good idea. Could I trouble you to go check on him to make sure he's not digging? Thank you. I don't know if that slide will need to be fixed. It's not the second bowl, it's the sixth. Oh, thank you. This is the sixth bowl. It's thank you, boy. Thank you. Thank you, administrative assistant. Chief administrative assistant. Yeah, that's right. Chief. She's good. She can, man. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder how she's able to multitask the way she does. I don't multitask that well. Women typically can. Men I guess. Have a hard time you have to do everything with a kid on your hip. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> I guess so. But anyway, we were just bragging about your multitasking ability. Yeah. Oh, really? So frogs in scripture are normally used in a unclean, loathsome sense. And we've got a couple of scripture there, Leviticus 11, 10 and 11, 14. First of all, Jews were not allowed to eat them. You know, just couldn't eat them because they were unclean. But then, of course, we also have the example of the second plague in Egypt that involved frogs. Um, These are real demons, but they're simply kind of like frogs. They're caricature like frogs, but but the scripture isn't talking about 
actual frogs here. It says three unclean spirits like frogs. So that's just giving us an idea of their slipperiness, their, their nature, their abilities, that kind of thing. And then verse 15 is a parenthesis. Let me read that one for you again, because it's a fascinating one. Right in the middle of this, 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of, the, of God Almighty. So here are these demon spirits who perform signs, convince the kings that they need to do what they need to do, and they're wowed by the uh, supernatural ability, and so they just do it. But notice verse 15. In the middle of that, God interrupts and says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Now, we know that, this is my opinion, that Christ will never come as a thief for his own. He's talking about the reason he won't come as a thief for his own is because we're always watching and looking up. That doesn't mean we sit around like a yogi on a mountaintop going, oh, while we're working, we're always mindful of the fact this could be my last day on earth because I could die today. Once you're in the tribulation, your chances of dying are greatly increased. So that could happen. We also know that people in the tribulation have a general idea, who are believers, have a general idea a pretty good idea of when God's going to return. Because the tribulation is seven years long. Three and a half, three and a half, two periods. Okay, so we're winding down here. So Jesus is going to physically come back. Unbelievers will see it as a thief. Because they won't be expecting it. They won't be waiting for it. They won't be wanting it. And so when he does come back, and he, he uses the same, by the way, the same language in Matthew 24 when Jesus uh, preached the um, sermon he did there about the end days. The sermon, what is it? I'm sorry, I can't remember it. Oh, goodness gracious. The Sermon on the Mount, right? No, no that's, that's, John, that's Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 24. I should know this. Well, he was just talking with he predicts the, the signs of the right? times and the ends of the age. Yes, the end of the age. I'm sorry, what? I was, he he was just talking to his disciples. He what, what he? Yes, when he talks about the destruction of the temple, the signs of the times, the end of the age. When he's right in that period, then he talks starting in verse 15 in Matthew 24, where he starts talking about the great tribulation. And then starting in verse 29, where he talks about the coming of the Son of Man. And then he finishes up that, and then he compares it with the parable of what he calls the fig tree, etc., etc., etc. But within that text, and I won't take the time to read it about the Great Tribulation, he goes, um, he talks about coming as a thief, because what he's saying here is the people who are unbelievers during the Tribulation will not have a clue. They will not be expecting him to return, so they won't be looking for it. But his followers will be. I mean, if you and I happen to be alive during the tribulation, toward the end of it, you can bet we're going to be looking expectantly, yes. expectantly 
every day, we're going to be going, is today the day, Lord? The tribulation's almost over. I've made it this far. Is today the day? And, and that's going to be an actual way of living for believers during that time. And it's interesting here, though, because he says, Blessed is he who watches, keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. So Christians, it's really a call for Christians living during that time, and our time as well, to wake up, expect his return. And I've always seen that in the terms of the fact that I could die today, physically, or, you know, then, during the tribulation period, when he is ready to return. So Christians need to be doing that. And it's important that we can't be lulled to sleep by a woke world, which is happening today. I was watching some um, videos yesterday and this past week, which got really frustrating because I am seeing so many woke pastors yes. and hearing their garbage. Yeah. And what I find, I'm, 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 I'm going to write a blog on this, at least one, because... They are so nuanced mm -hmm. in what they say that they're not clear. And because they're so nuanced, you can take what they're saying a couple of different ways. And then I thought, you know, God stated, God spoke plainly and yeah. still does through his word. Yeah. Satan nuances everything. And so do his puppets. And it, it's just, when you... He warned us, Paul warned us, yeah. that during these days there would be so many wolves acting as sheep. And we sit there and we go, <clears throat> why doesn't everybody see this? Why is this yeah. okay? Why? And they have such huge churches. They have huge... Oh. Yeah. The big... Go ahead. The, the big churches, I've seen, that I, we've visited several... Nobody knew anybody else there, so they didn't. I mean, at least when you got small groups, you kind of have to keep each other in line. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, exactly. and you bring about ideas that uh, are interpretations that we sure. should discuss. And it, but I just, yeah, it was entertainment. That's all That's I right. saw in these big churches was entertainment. Nothing that. It is, and it's and it. Who do we hear? Oh. Um, Ryan up at Northside Calvary Chapel Calvary Chapel Northside up in uh, Tennessee. We listen to his sermons because our kids go to that church up there and um, it's amazing. He was saying I forget the percentage but he was saying a very large percentage of pastors today don't even use scripture at all in their sermons, in their messages. They don't even they use the Bible. Pardon me? They don't even open the Bible no. during their yeah. sermon. They don't. Oh, oh, they may do this. They'll walk around right. the pulpit with this. Because it makes it's a it's a good it's it looks good. Mm -hmm. But you sit there and you go, and and yet the congregation puts up with that. That's mm -hmm. what they love, I guess. I don't I don't Well they won't be patted on the back and say y'all. And entertained, like you said. Yeah. And they feel good when they leave. Yeah, feel good for the Because if they feel good then they're more inclined to open up their wallets, I guess. Me, you and I, we open our wallets because we want this work that we're involved in, that we know is glorifying God to continue. Right, right, yeah. Not um, because, oh, that was a great, oh, yeah. 
the Hillsong Church is being heavily investigated in Australia. Oh yeah. And things like well, crazy in New York too. They're all and, over. The yes. Oh yeah, they are. <coughs> they get a um, what do you call it? Royalty. Uh, yeah, and and if you want to have a Hillsong Church, you have to pay like if you want a franchise. Oh, it's yeah. like franchise. Oh yeah. So, but they were talking about you know five thousand dollar meals and just cra crazy unfathomable. Well, they get money every time a church plays one of their songs in church, even if the, if it's not even a Hillsong church where get, it's a franchise. Well, oh, they get royalties. We sang Hillsong. Well, they're getting royalties. Yeah, I'm sure we paid every time. How do they know that we're singing? Well, it's done by honesty, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I think when you when you like order the music for your people or whatever, but you do. It is an honesty thing. So, you know, we're supporting... Well, they must be some of these songs I really detest. No, they've got beautiful music. The music is really yeah, good. Some of, that is, some of it but is good. It's just... Some of but you'd be surprised at some what songs that you are familiar with. Yeah. You know? I mean, and then you start... If you look at the music, it'll have something on there about his yeah. song. And the music is beautiful. It but, is beautiful. But they use it as a... Right it's a tool. Right. Because they're worshipping the music, right. I think. And, and not... Yeah. using yeah. it as a, a worship for God tool. Yeah. It's a, mm -hmm. look how beautiful I sing, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. dressed cool, I'm, I look good, I've got my yeah. lips all puffed up, oh, got yeah. my eyebrows all painted on it. it. It's just, uh, it's not real. I mean, as a musician myself, I, I played, obviously, you know, I played drums, and when we were in California, I played drums at the church, the church we were attending then. And they did a patriotic slash, I guess for the lack of a better word, religious, um, what, do you, what would you call it, event, spectacle. Yeah, 4th of July. 4th of July thing. And what I really appreciated about that is as a musician, I was down below. They had risers for other things. You couldn't see me. Yeah. And I, I loved that because I didn't want anybody staring at me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just... You don't need to be looking at me because no. I'm not. I'm not putting on a concert. I'm no, providing. No. Right I'm here. providing background right music. So anyway, right here. Oh. I think unfortunately, I'll probably be writing more about this. Okay. That we're we're being lulled to sleep by a woke world. Now I, I'm not saying we can change things, but I sometimes wonder what John the Baptist would have said. Certainly, I wonder what Jesus would have said, and I want. I know. I think. No. What Paul would Over have here. said. Over here. So. Yeah. I think we need to be loving and lovingly critical in a good way, if we can be. But but I think we have to call the heresy the heresy. Sure, we have to. Absolutely. We can't soft soap that. Yeah. Like, we no, can't. I mean, truth is just no. truth, period. And it needs to be yeah, said. I agree. Um, Especially when, good. you know, good. When, good. when they are questioning or questioning when they're just saying the Bible, you know, really isn't true. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard some things this week. I'm sitting there going, really? And we'll talk about them at the end here just briefly, but you sit there and you go, huh, now I see why you're a mega pastor. Right. Now I get it. Right. Okay. So anyway... We've got to remain true to God's word and his purposes. And, and that's what we want to do, right? You're here, I'm here. We all want to do this. We want to remain true to God's word and his purposes. In spite of what may be coming. No, in spite of what is on its way. 
You know, I mean, it, it's going to be here. We can't and dare not hate those in the world. This has always been the difficult one for me. Even where atheists are concerned, my heart goes out to them in a way because I know they're blinded, and they're usually blinded because they're self-deceived. It's a choice they've made. But I still think, you know, I hope you can change your mind before you get to that point where you're standing before God and then it's too late. Yeah. Well, they've thrown repentance out the window. They have. Uh, it's like this is, it's not, you, know, you You just do you. You don't have to be wrong. So if you're not wrong, there's no reason to repent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can't come to God unless you repent. Right. You I mean, can't. You, you, you can't. I so, agree. So we hate what the world traffic's in. We don't like what they're doing. We see and understand that they're calling bad good and good bad. We get it. We disagree. But we also live in a time, and as we know, where our voices are being muted. Sure. So, but we still have to press on. Um, and real quick, the, yes. Jesus was telling his followers, and I, I had not remembered seeing it, but it said that there will come a time when the people who kill you will be doing it in, believe they're doing it in the service of God. Exactly. And I, I thought about that with that school shooting. You know, yeah. The people who kill you because you're a Christian will believe they're doing it in the service of God. And it was... And all these people that are worshiping her for being a... Transgender. Transgender and going out and doing... Yeah. But she was so the she was the transgender movement gets the yeah. sympathy, but not the... Not the baby. Yeah, not the children. Right. And, yeah. and, and yeah. they were upset when at a press conference they used the wrong pronouns. Yeah. That's what they were upset about. And I'm thinking to myself, an eight an almost nine year old and two nine year olds died. Right. What had they done to the transgender movement? Right. What threat were they? They didn't even know what they were. One was the daughter of the pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the custodian, I believe, just happened to be in the way. And the head principal or something. The principal, she She, tried to stop it. You know, it's the way it is. All right, keeping his garments on the way, you know, so that they won't be naked and seen exposed. This is literally a parenthetical statement that Jesus makes here, warning believers to be watchful, to continue being as pure as possible, and that includes, by the way, being removed from the world emotionally as much as possible. Obviously, we're in the world, we're not of it. We need to do business in the world um, at, at times, but we still need to purify ourselves from that so that we're not caught up in the attitudes and the demeanor of the world. You understand that? So the alternative, by not doing this, getting involved too much in the world, mm-hmm. uh, means we're going to be embarrassed. Right. When we see him, that's that's just the plain fact. We will be embarrassed. It's like I remember when I was a kid, my parents told me not to do something. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then they'd catch me doing it because my friends were doing it. Well, I got in trouble. My friends didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble because my parents had told me, "Don't do that. Don't act like that." And so I was stupid enough and weak enough to do it because my friends were. So that's really, literally, what Christ is warning his, belie- his believers, his children about. Is that don't, don't do that, because it is going to result in your embarrassment when I come, or when you face me. Mm. 
So it's ultimately a word of encouragement, and it should remind us that, yeah, this world is transient. There's nothing permanent here. So I need to do what I need to do so that my life glorifies God. So those believers who do not understand that Christ will return, and you know, sadly, <laughs> there are a lot of Christians today who don't buy that. They really, they don't think he's coming back. May not what be. Do they, what do they think? What do they Oh, they think they're just going to live life. They'll die in old and age. Just and then, they'll, then they'll go, yeah, they'll see him then. But he's not coming back. So because of that, they act in ways that will be embarrassing when he does return. So Embarrassment is a great um, deterrence. You know? What is? <clears throat> Embarrassment. It is. Yeah. It is. When you think that, it, I mean, why would you do something that's going to, you know, going to... Yeah. cause you to be embarrassed about right. something that you've done and you have no excuse except just um, do it I know. personally greedy I know. so verse 16 points to all the kings and their armies of the world they're going to gather an Armageddon and I, I did a little bit of research into this again because I was a little bit rusty on this it had been a while and so these demons convince all these kings to get their armies and go there and Armageddon is from the Hebrew Harmageddon, or literally the mountain of Megiddo. It's an interesting kind of way of looking at things. And even though we know where Megiddo is, we aren't exactly sure, although we have a good idea, that it's uh, the Megiddo mountain is a small hill on the south-central edge of the Jezreel Valley, or Esdraelion, in northern Palestine, where the city of Megiddo stood in ancient biblical history. It could also mean the mountain closest to Megiddo, which was Mount Carmel, where we're familiar with Elijah. I mean, this is what they did. When they, when they talk about Mount Ararat, for instance, where Noah's Ark landed, we don't know which <coughs> mountain in the, in the group of Mount Ararat mountains. We don't know which one that was. So it's, it's the same kind of thing here. We're not 100% sure, but some people who have, some scholars who have spent years studying this stuff have some really good ideas. But ultimately, we'll know it when we see it, if we're alive when it happens. So probably, so that there's enough room, Harmageddo refers to hill country around Megiddo that border approximately 14 miles by 20 miles, which is a pretty big area. And it's in the Valley of Jezreel, which incidentally, and this is only one example, if you go through the Old Testament, a lot of things happen here. Barak, or Deborah, I'm going to use her name first, because Barak would not go into battle unless Deborah went with him. And then she goes, okay, fine, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the glory for this. You're not going to get credit for this, I should say. Um, so that's where that happened, and there was a bunch of other things that happened. So literally, Megiddo means place of slaughter, because so many things took place there during um, the biblical history. Now, this is a really good picture I found, and you can see here, way over here you've got Nazareth, Mount Tabor, Mount Mora, uh, Ramat David Israeli Air Force Base is right in there. You can see why that'd be a good place for an Air Force Base. And you've got the Jezreel way over there, the Megiddo, the Mount Gilboa. So, in the final analysis, some scholars and biblical commentators believe that this actually just may be a, a staging area. That happens often in wars, where <clears throat> groups will gather at one place to go over there. This may be a staging area. We don't really know. But here is 
another kind of picture of it right in here. And here's Megiddo, the old Megiddo. Here's Tanakh. Here is Mount Gilboa, um, the Kishon River. Where else? So Nazareth is over there. Mount Tabor. Endor, you're familiar with Endor, the witch of Endor with Saul. Um, so you can see that yeah, this, the valley. this valley is yeah. pretty incredibly large. So it could either wind up being a staging area or it could be where a lot of the battle takes place. Although it could be more so that the battle takes place here because you know you've got Galilee, Nazareth, and then you've got other points south. It's just fascinating to me. So how does that affect us here? If there's a battle going on over there, yeah, how do <clears throat> what does that mean physically for us here? Uh, during the time? Mm -hmm. Well, I think then. Obviously, I think whatever's left of America and its troops are going to be somewhat involved in that. Is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just wanting to know physically what it, what it means. I mean, because there, there's a battle over there. It's a long way away from here. I mean, there's battles going on everywhere all over the world today. And we, That's right. You know, it's happening over there. We know it's happening over there, but it doesn't physically. I think, though, this is going to be, quote-unquote, the last world war. Every... I think most nations are going to be involved in this in some way or another. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think it's going to affect our part of the world. Whatever, whatever the United States winds up being when this happens. And, and even, like, because this, this marks the end of the tribulation period. Pretty much, and yes. And so, so up until that time, if we're still alive, we're going to be persecuted heavily, like probably living in the woods. Oh, yeah. persecution. Yeah. So that's how that would affect us. So anybody that's living here now would be living under some kind of persecution. Oh, oh I think so. Okay, that, if that was your question, yeah, thanks. Yes, I agree, 100%. Yeah, we will, our lives will not be easy. Not what we know it today. No, if you think about what, was, what it was like for the first century Christians when everything went against Christianity and Christians had to, that's where they came up with that ichthus, <laughs> that fish sign so they could secretly tell other believers where they were meeting. Mm -hmm. And so that often that was in the catacombs, so that they could go there and worship and sing because they know the Roman authorities wouldn't necessarily go there and people wouldn't necessarily go there. So yeah, I think that persecution is going to be big. It's going to be huge. Uh, is it true that there's going to be all kinds of rumors of war and wars oh, yeah. prior to all of this? Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think, think a large part of the population will already will be, be annihilated oh, yeah. before yeah. this party this gets to yeah, it. Right, and as far as rumors of wars, I think that's exactly what's going on in Ukraine. Not that there hasn't been warring and that people haven't died. But I was just watching a video today by one of those uh, uh, military strategists. He's an expert, and he says, we're getting to the end here with this Ukraine thing because Zelensky is basically saying, okay, well... You know, if this, if we don't win this battle, and I forget where it is, this, it's a stronghold right now. If we don't, then it's over. And he goes, but I want to be able to negotiate terms with Putin. And Putin basically has said, if if you lose there, you'll take our terms. So what what the strategist was saying, he goes, it's going to end probably pretty quickly now. But the neocons, like in the United States who constantly push for war because it's big bucks, mm -hmm. big, big, big bucks. They're not going to like that, so they may try to do something to keep it rolling. But the problem is, 
Ukraine has lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, not just in the military, but just their population. Civilians, yeah. Yes. So it's, it's, like, it's not going to... They're going to lose more. If they lose this battle, they're going to lose tons, tons more. And, and it's not going to go well for them. We keep and dumping so, money over there. Yes. What? Oh, well, I was, I was reading about that, too. We send money over there, and 20% goes to Kiev. At least 60% comes back to the oh, Department of Defense and our military. Kickback kick money. Kick money. Yes. It is. Yep. And I don't know what happens to the other 20%. Mm -hmm. probably goes to people in Congress, but who knows? Well, I mean, the Ukrainian <coughs> government was set up. 2014, yes. 2016 by Americans. So yes. it's a, it's a, it's it was, a, was a it? proxy it government. It yeah. is. And so that we could have all kinds of, we could have the run of the field over there, mm -hmm. basically, and do whatever we wanted with their labs. We caused that war to happen. We did. Absolutely. That, that government in, in Ukraine is, before all this happened, they, I mean, they were considered very, very corrupt. They, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Extremely corrupt. Are you absolutely. talking about Zelensky or the one before The one before that. Okay. But I, I, for all I know, Zelensky is just as corrupt. How would, you know, I yeah. don't know. Well, and the interesting thing which got it going, that as far as I understand it, was Ukraine became its own nation in part because they promised Russia that they'd never um, seek to enter NATO. Right. And then... When this thing started, just before it started, who was over there inviting Ukraine, telling Ukraine publicly, nationally, internationally, on the news, in the open, that they should join NATO? Who was doing that? Vice President Kamala. So she's over there egging them on. So obviously, something was up. They needed another war. People need to make money. Yeah. It's the same yeah. with the bank failures. But... Um, all right, the seventh bowl will be done here just very shortly. God says it is done in verse 17. It is done. After an angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven saying from the throne, it is done. Notice the angel pours his content of the bowl into the air, which is what people breathe. So it literally permeates the atmosphere, which also means that when God speaks, it is done. Everybody hears it. There's a sense of the fact that he says it, and he's referring to the judgments which were about to come to the end, and ultimately he's referring to the tribulation which is about to close, which also means that if the tribulation is going to close, it's going to close because Jesus is coming back. But he says, it is done. The seventh bull judgment is just about to occur, and by the way, this is interesting, because it could also refer to God's demolition of man's final weapon in our human warfare and to date that is what nuclear that's the most powerful weapon we have but what else does it is done remind you of anything the crucifixion yes yeah when he said what it is finished it, it is finished. finished and there's two this is so fascinating to me because when christ said it is finished he was referring to the debt created by sin that he willingly and joyfully paid for us. When God says it is done, He is saying, you didn't accept what my Son gave you, offered to you, when He said it is finished. So now, it is done. It is done. And what you get now is eternal judgment. That's That to me is like, wow, that's, that's un, yeah. And so this particular last judgment here is introduced with 
flashes, and lightnings, and the greatest earthquake this world will ever have experienced. And the destruction that follows it. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. These are divine signs of judgment. This is God's fanfare. You know, this is Him prepping to do what He does. It's in preparation of the seventh bowl. The great city here in verse... Where are we? God bless you. The great city, verse 19, was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. The nations referring to the cities all over the world... But this great city here could refer to, I mean, people have said, oh, it refers to Jerusalem. Some say, no, it refers to Rome. Babylon. Some say it refers to Babylon. Some say it could refer to the cities near the Euphrates. I believe that it refers in this case to Jerusalem, but at the same time, it could also refer to the system of Babylon that has undergirded Jerusalem as the center of the world as far as God is concerned. And the word great is also used in Revelation 11.8 when describing the situation where those two witnesses were slain. They lay in the great city for two and a half, three days. So Zechariah 14.4 also lists the geological changes that will occur in Jerusalem and nearby prior to the Lord's return. When he steps down on Mount of Olives, we know what happens. What happens? It splits. That mountain splits. It just splits. It's amazing. I mean, there are going to be some massive geological changes. And then the cities of the nations fell. Not just Jerusalem or whatever this great city happens to be. We're talking about great cities of the world probably representing the kings from those areas. They're going to fall. They will be destroyed. And he does this with massive destruction. The text tells us islands literally move out of place. They flee. No mountains are found. They're all down. Jerusalem's the only mountain left. Yes. Giant hailstones. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I said to my wife, I said, you know, when I go to Lowe's and buy a bag of quickcrete, I can pick up a 50-pound bag of concrete. I can pick up an 80-pound bag. It's a struggle, but I can pick up an 80-pound bag. Now imagine if two of these 50-pound bags <laughs> fell on you from the sky. That's a good question. I'm sorry. If a hailstone this big, I'm kidding you. Oh, yeah. So imagine if it was 100 pounds. There's no way you'd survive. No. no. And, and it's just going to boom, 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 boom. We were watching uh, Storm Chasers yesterday, and these guys, they get out there and they chase these tornadoes, and then they're sitting there in their car, and it's just real windy, and then all of a sudden the hail comes down. Yeah. You know, and it's like, be careful, your windshield yeah. may break. But, you know, hail is absolutely dangerous. So when it's this big, God is taking divine judgment and hail was often used as divine judgment in yeah. the bible we know that but that's his that's his his divine judgment death and destruction this world god is literally physically at this point taking what belongs to him that he got back when jesus died so he's literally physically taking it back and he does it not with a whisper but with a huge Huge fanfare. And he uses nature. So, so let me pick your brain here just a second. Okay. So, all right, remember I don't know that I have a whole lot to Oh, pick. come on. <laughs> and I, I would love to hear your, your prospect okay. on this or your opinion on this. So is it your impression that it's at this point in time, Babylon the Great, or is this something that could have happened earlier? 
where, where Babylon the Great is um, it's destroyed. Yeah, it's destroyed. Oh, I don't think that actually happens until the next uh, chapter. Okay. Right. It, it says then one of the seven angels where had I'm looking at chapter 17, 17 seven bowls. Oh yeah, one of the seven angels who had one of the seven bowls came and talked to me. I'll show you the judgment on the great harlot who sits on many waters. So, and if you look at chapter 17, we get in, introduced to Babylon again. Then 18, the fall of Babylon the Great. Mm -hmm. And then 19, heaven exalts over Babylon. And then, you know, so then Jesus comes. So I'm thinking, if I'm understanding your your yeah, question I just, correctly. Do you, think it's, do you think it's at this point in time? Yeah, so when this seventh bowl, is that when... We see oh, the fall oh, of Babylon. Oh, you, you know, right. Not at this not, point in time, but way in the well, future. At this, yeah. You know, it's not linear. So even though it's yeah. talking about Babylon in later chapters, do you think it's this at this point in time? Right here in, in the Bible? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. At the seventh yeah, soul judgment. I think that's when it starts it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Because, I mean, Babylon, Babylon's going to go quick. One hour. Oh, that's true. And then I think what happens here in 17 and 18 and 19, it's a lot of commentary about exactly what happens right. to Babylon when it falls. Right. That's, yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah, that would make perfect sense. That, that, that destruction is happening during this lightning thunder. And yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right. 100 pound hailstone. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I read it, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you make a good point. Um, I agree. You know, there, there's just... Yeah, it seems like there's an ending here. Like, right here. Right, and then... And, and then we're now we're going to talk about the Scarlet Woman and the Beast and the... Well, yeah, the you're right. There's this ending, and then God gets into the details. Yeah. About yeah. what that looked like. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. But it's funny that God spends three chapters, 17, 18, and 19, on uh, Babylon. Mm hmm It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so we're done for tonight. Next time we're going to go over, maybe we can figure out, I mean, we could spend weeks going over this stuff, but maybe there's a way what I could do is take 17 and 18 and just cover some highlights, if that's okay with you, or would you prefer me to go one chapter at a time? One chapter. One chapter at a time, says my chief administrative assistant. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I do. Okay, that's fine. I don't want to rush it, but I don't want to spend, yeah. I don't want to, yeah. Because, I mean, this stuff, you know... You can spend a whole lot of time. I know, but it's, it's, it's good to spend a It is good. It is, right. It is. Okay. Cool. All righty. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. Thanks, Lord, for your word. Thanks that it gives us encouragement to live the way we're supposed to live right now, today, knowing that eventually we're going to go to you, either in our death or at some point during the tribulation, if we're still alive then, or you're going to return. And we look forward to either one. But in the meantime, we don't want to walk around embarrassed. Mm -hmm. We don't want to walk around doing things and saying things and being so involved in the world that we kind of forget to keep our focus on you. So help us to do that. We thank you that the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 16 tonight, helps us to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. and would you please give us the strength and help us to commit ourselves to that so that we can grow in our walk with you and be witnesses to the lost of this world. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.